The scripture reading this morning that uh, Jimmy selected is from James, second chapter, 24 through 26. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even uh, Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Joshua chapter 2. Let me start off with a question. Have you ever raised girls? If you have, raise your hand. God bless you. (laughs) And if you've ever had some guy come up to your house intent on taking out your daughter, God bless you. (laughs) Then you could probably relate to a story I heard this week. young girl was getting ready for her first date. Mom and dad were probably a little bit more nervous than she was, particularly when they opened the door and they saw a much older man. He was in greasy jeans, a black t-shirt covered in tattoos and had body piercings in place they didn't know you could pierce. And they pulled their daughter aside and said, we're kind of nervous about your date. And she said, well, why? They said, well, we're concerned that he might not be very nice. And she said, Nice. If he wasn't nice, would he be doing 2,000 hours of community service? It is hard to get past first impressions, isn't it? But I can promise you this, it's even harder to get over a flawed past. We've been blessed with quite a few babies over the last year, and we've had a lot of names that have been chosen for those babies. But one that I suspect will never be used is Rahab. As a matter of fact, I've never heard of anybody naming a child Rahab. Maybe you have. Now, we've got mothers who have given other biblical names to their girls, but never that one. And yet her name is used more in Scripture than any other woman next to Sarah and Mary. And I think you know most likely the reason why. It's her flawed past. Unless you're God, a checkered past is just hard to forget. And for those of you like myself who have one, Rahab is kind of our kindred spirit. And if you have one too and you're worried that that past disqualifies you from being saved by God, let alone ever being used by Him, then I invite you this morning to hear how this woman's daring faith trumps her dark past. Let's read the word and then um, spend some time in prayer and get at it. Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent out from Shittim two men as spies. Go look over the land, he said. Check out Jericho. They've left and arrived at the house of a harlot named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, we've just learned that men arrived tonight to spy out the land. They're from the people of Israel. The king of Jericho sent word to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you to stay the night in your house. They're spies. They've come to spy out the whole country. But the woman had taken the two men and had hidden them. She said, yes, two men did come to me, but I didn't know where they came from. They came at dark when the gate was about to be shut and the men left, but I have no idea where they went. Hurry up, chase them, you can still catch them. She had actually taken them up on the roof and hidden them under some stalks of flax that were spread out by her on the roof. 
And so the men set chase down the Jordan road toward the fords. As soon as they were gone, though, the gate was shut. Before the spies were down for the night, the woman came up to them on the roof and said, I know that God has given you the land we are all afraid of. Everyone in this country feels hopeless. We heard how God dried up the waters at the Red Sea before you when you left Egypt and what he did to the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan, Shion and Og, whom you put under a holy curse and destroyed. We heard it and our hearts sank. We all had the wind knocked out of us and all because of you, you and God, your God, the God of the heavens above and the God of the earth below. Now promise me by God I showed Promise me by God that I showed you mercy. You now show my family mercy. And give me some tangible proof, a guarantee of life for my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, everyone connected with my family. Save our souls from death. Our lives for yours, she said to the men. The men said, don't tell anyone our business. Because when God turns this land over to us, we will do right by you in loyal mercy. She lowered them down out of a window with rope because her house is on the city wall to the outside. She told them, run for the hills so your pursuers won't find you. Hide out for three days there and give your pursuers time to return. And then get on your way. Pray with me, church. We submit ourselves to your word, Lord, today. We have brought our praises, we have brought our prayers, we have brought our hearts to remember what you did at the cross in the empty tomb through the the Lord's Supper. And Father, now I'm asking that you please come and work through this, this very imperfect messenger. And please bring this message today of faith, because I know you brought some specific people here just to hear it, who need to know that their dark past can be trumped by their daring faith in a living Christ. Father, we know we're not the only ones who are hoping today that this time together will encourage us and strengthen our faith so that we can leave out of here actually living as a people of faith. We lift up to you this morning also Conquest Christian Church. Please help them as they they try their best to submit themselves both to your lordship and also to be thrilled about your saving power. We ask this together as a group of disciples, and everyone said, Amen. We're introduced this morning to Rahab as Israel looks to take the biggest prize of the promised land so far, the mighty city of Jericho. I want you to remember that this is a moment that Joshua's been waiting on for 40 plus years. He was one of the original 12 spies that Moses had sent to spy out the land. But you remember also that 10 of those spies saw giant-like people there and were so intimidated that they came back saying to the rest of the people of Israel, there's no way we can go in there. No way we take out those folks. These 10 spies went back and spread so much fear to the point that the people believed them. And yet Joshua and Caleb believed God instead. And it's those two men of faith who are back here now 40 years later to take what should have been theirs four decades earlier. This time, however, there would be no committees sent out to determine if the land was conquerable or not. They have been sent to find out where the enemy has its weaknesses and report back. But the most valuable thing that they find is that this enemy has no courage for the fight. 
In Joshua chapter 2 and verse 24, these spies come back and they say to Joshua, The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. Let's go back and, and hear again how they could say that to their great leader. It comes from the Living Translation, this same section we read a few moments ago. Rahab said, I know the Lord has given you this land. We are all afraid of you. Everyone's living in terror. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And now we know what you did to the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is a supreme God of the heavens above all the earth. Don't you know those words brought a smile to Joshua's face as he hears this reconnaissance mission come back and report on what they've seen. Everybody's courage has failed. That's a pretty strong statement. Everyone's afraid of us there. And that's understandable, isn't it? Because your courage can only be great when your God is great. Your courage can only be great when your God is great. Now, I'm curious, without a response, just think about this. Do you really believe that your God's great? Do you really believe it? Because if your God is not great, I can promise you this, your faith is not going to be great in Him. It just can't be. If your God is small, your faith is going to be small. Back in the closing years of the last century, there was an epic battle that went on in America. did not make the front pages of most newspapers or the history books, but it was a huge battle nonetheless. It was a battle for the Bible. Universities all across this country began to be infected with what historically known as German liberalism. The liberalism properly defined has nothing to do with women's roles in the church or instrumental music or speaking in tongues. No, classic liberalism stems from teaching that the Bible's miracles really weren't miracles after all. That the creation of the earth didn't really come from God's spoken word. Or that Jesus' resurrection wasn't literally a raising of a dead body. Now, true liberalism reduces the Bible to just another source of folk wisdom, not that God delivered absolute truth for himself through it. So interesting, at the time, one of the schools that God used to fight for inspiration and the integrity of the Bible was Princeton Theological Seminary. And one of the men that God used was a professor by the name of Dick Wilson. When he was an old man and retired, he would sometimes come back to Princeton and he would attend chapel. He would often look up the young men who were about to speak at chapel and would say, I can't wait to hear from you this morning. Because I need to know, are you a big godder or a little godder? And some of them would look at him like you're looking at me. What do you mean by big godder or a little godder? And he would explain, a little godder is a man who worships a God who can't do miracles. He can't take care of the accuracy and transmission of his scripture. He can't show up and intervene on behalf of his people. Oh, but a big godder. Well, now he worships a God who can take care of his word. And take care of his people. Mr. Wilson went on to say, and I will tell you, I will know if you're going to have a fruitful ministry for this God, if you're a big Godder or a little Godder. Sister, I so hope you're a big Godder. Brother, I so hope you're a big Godder. Because if your God's small, so will be your courage. So will be your faith. 
Now back to our story. News of God's greatest and his greatness and his greatness starts spreading all throughout the land. People are starting to hear exactly what's going on, how he's mowing kings down one after the other. And Joshua is the beneficiary of hearing that these folks are absolutely afraid of what's about to happen to them. I believe he sent his spies to gain that knowledge. But I'm going to say this morning, I believe even more. That he went to gain a woman of faith. I believe with all my heart that God sent those spies primarily because he knew there was a prostitute in that city who had daring faith. And he was not about to let her go down with all the rest of those faithless people. She may not have been a part of Israel, but I promise you she's a believer in Israel's big God. She's a big Godder. Now, I do not believe, I do not believe it's coincidence that they just so happen to find their way to Rahab's place. Because Scripture over and over again shows us, we've seen it week after week in this series, that God finds daring faith irresistible. I want to make some specific applications about this big Godder's life in a few minutes. But let me put on pause a couple of those applications to look at a couple of things that I think might make you a little uneasy about our story. The first is her job. It makes us all a little uneasy, doesn't it, that the Bible says that she was a prostitute, that Rahab was a hooker. Now, you may have a note in your Bible that the Hebrew word that's used here could mean innkeeper. I think that's there for the, for the majority of us, that this just makes a little uneasy. But let me be clear. Every time the word is used in the New Testament, it's used to describe what this woman did for a living, and that was to be a prostitute. The fact is, she was probably both. Because in this particular day and age, many innkeepers ran brothels. So there's a very good chance that she both ran this place and also was a part of its staff. Now, if that's true, some of you may also be asking, well, what in the world are two soldiers of the Lord doing in a harlot's house? The truth is, I don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us about their thoughts on this, but I have to believe going into this that this important mission had to be entrusted to some men of very high character. I doubt if they're there to do business. I do believe it's all part of God's mission of mercy, though. But despite what I believe, here's four truths that I think come out of this incredible story, this particular moment of why these guys are at this place. Number one, young men going into her inn wouldn't have attracted a whole lot of attention in the town. Number two, prostitutes quite often talk to military officers. We know that. Number three, her house is on the city wall offering a quick escape route when they needed to leave. But I believe the fourth reason is probably the most prominent. That God led them to this particular house because he had plans for Rahab that nobody could see but him. Twan's just here for this week, but he he doesn't know yet that we're working with a A definition of faith that so fits this story, so fits the songs that he was singing a few moments ago when he was talking about this peace that maybe some of you would long to have, but it's not right there. It's because we we are a people of faith. And we define faith in this series this way, that we believe that what doesn't exist can exist because God exists. And here's a woman who, who sees this incredible God who understands that he is the power of all powers but doesn't have a clue how in the world... That's going to matter until God comes and shows her how it's going to matter. And I believe with all my heart he led somebody here today, I promise you, who's facing something that that you you can't believe you got yourself into. And now this hope and this promise that might move you from here to there is going to hinge on one thing. 
believing that what doesn't exist in your life can exist because our God exists. And because this woman believed that, God finds her. Just like I hope he's finding you. The king does receive reports that these spies are in her home no matter what the the soldiers have done to try to hide themselves. And so the king sends soldiers over to ask Rahab, where are they? Uh, We want you to hand over the two guys we saw come into the house. They're spies. She says, well, look, we we don't check passports here. I don't know where these guys are from, but they're not here now. Just before the the city gate was shut, they slipped out of here right before sunset and they're gone. So believable is her explanation that the king's men don't question it. They don't go in the house and search. They go ahead and leave as quickly as they can, not to let them get away. Now, you may be inclined to think that a woman with that kind of history wouldn't have an interest in the things of God. But you'd be wrong. And maybe you might even think, That God would have no interest in a woman with that kind of history. And again, you'd be wrong. Because we serve a God in heaven. I promise you, who has a passion for those who have faith in Him. And who will act on that faith boldly for Him. No matter what their profession's been. No matter what their past has been. I serve a God who sees faith more clearly than He sees flaws. Amen, church? That's who we serve. That's who we serve. It leads me to believe these weren't spies then on a reconnaissance mission so much as these were missionaries on a missionary trip. God didn't send a scouting report. He already was about to collapse this whole place just like you would a stack of dominoes. They're not out to collect data. They're out to collect rabbi. Rabbi Rahab. (laughs) That's a misread, isn't it? But that's who they're out to collect. And they tell her to bind a scarlet cord around her window. A scarlet cord around her window. Because when judgment comes, that's the only thing that's going to save her. A scarlet cord around the window. Because when the judgment falls in this city, it's the only thing that's going to save you. Now, if this story is true, and I'm a big godder, I believe it is. That scarlet cord was the only thing that saved her. And as soon as she hears what's going to save her and her family, don't you think she found one that was the brightest scarlet, the brightest red she could find, and maybe the biggest one she could find? And don't you know that when she found that, she kept that close to her? And it was one of the dearest possessions in all of her life because that scarlet cord was going to save her? Don't you know that that filled her courage tank that these guys would say anything along the lines of, listen, because of what you've done, because of your faith, God's going to take care of you. She already knew God was powerful. Now she knows He's merciful. Yay, God. Yay, God. But her being a prostitute is still a little bit questionable, isn't it? Sure it is. And if that's not enough, then also the fact that she lies is a little bit questionable. Um, no, they're not here. Uh, we don't check passports, like I said. And besides, I, I, they, they may hightail it out of here. I, you might be able to catch them. If you get through the gate now, before the sun sets, they hadn't gone very far, and they're gone. That's an untruth, isn't it? And we serve a God who is the way, the truth, and the life. Yes, it is an untruth. 
But here's what I believe about that untruth. It was not so much told to protect an ego or a reputation as it was to save a life. And for God, that's an exception he's willing to take. War often forces people to choose between the lesser of two evils. And there is no denying that deception has always been a part of military strategy. Am I right? God will never and could never condone lying. However, there are times in the Bible where people lie to protect human life. Let me give you a couple examples. Number one, remember when David was made king? Well, things weren't going so well, so he fled the kingdom, and he fled to a place called Gath. And the king there was a little bit nervous that another king was in his palace, and he was getting ready to kill him when the scripture says David fakes being crazy. He fakes being a madman. And he's so good at it. Here's what the king says about David. As if I don't have enough crazy people already, get him out of here. (laughs) I love that. It worked. But it was a lie. God says to Samuel, when he's about to go appoint this young David as king, go appoint David as king. And and Samuel says, well, if Saul sees me, I'm telling you, he's going to kill me. And here's what God says. No problem. Take a heifer and tell the king you're going to offer a sacrifice. Wow, that's the widest lie ever encouraged. And it was by God. It was his suggested deception. And again, I believe, because it was not to protect an ego. It was not to protect a reputation. It was to save a life. Rahab's story isn't an ethics lesson. I don't even want to make it that. Which is why I tell you personally, I believe Corey Ten Boom was right when she lied to the Nazis about hiding Jews in her home. And she deceived people into believing that they were not there when they were. I think the officer who goes undercover and deceives drug dealers into believing a lie for the sake of getting drugs off the street and saving lives, that's admirable, not detestable. Because, again, this is not about protecting an ego or a reputation. It's about saving lives. Never once in all the Scripture is Rahab condemned for her untruth here. But instead, she is upheld for her courageous faith, both here in Joshua 2, Hebrews 11:3, and James 2, verse 26, just as was read a few moments ago. I love the fact that this lady with her dark past can have that trumped by her daring faith. And I love it so much that I just couldn't wait this week to share this story with you. And here's three implications that I want you to take home about this incredible woman's faith. Number one, daring faith bases its convictions on the truth of a dependable God. And that's the only kind of daring faith that I'm encouraging you to. Because you can have faith in a lot of false things here. As Craig said in his prayer a few moments ago, that will disappoint you. But I promise you this, faith in a dependable God will never disappoint you. Long. Maybe when he doesn't answer your prayer exactly when you want and how you want. But your faith in him, your ultimate refusal to let go of him, your tenacious, stubborn belief that he can and will work all things together for good will mean just that. He will work it for good. Rahab's faith was based on what she knew. And therefore she acts on it. Scholars call that propositional truth. Been waiting all week to say that. Propositional truth. I don't use words like that much. But you know what it means. If this is true, then this must be true. 
If there's chocolate pie in my house, it must be eaten. It's an if-then thing. You know what I mean? If Twan's in the house and he's leading singing, you're going to find your body doing something like this. What's happening here? I don't know why it happens. It just does. Every time he's leading singing, I had to tell Bonnie a while ago, I can see your body moving. And she said, that's why I sit on the back row. Ask her, isn't that right? That's an if-then. If chocolate pie's in the house, sportsman's going to eat. If Twan's in the house, we're going to be moving. All right? This woman says, if God can do that, we need to be paying attention. That's a propositional statement. If this is true, then this must be true. And over and over again, she tells us in this text, your God is doing, your God has done. I have heard it. I've heard it. That's why Romans chapter 10 and verse 17 says this. Faith comes by hearing and hearing from the telling of the Christ story, some of you says. By hearing by the word of God, some of your, your, your scriptures say. They don't really know how to interpret that last section, all right? But it all really is the same thing. This book is full of stories of faith, isn't it? And the biggest one is the Christ story. And the reason why we're in this series is because I believe with all my heart we're at a crucial time in the life of this church where it's going to demand more faith of us than we have ever needed in our life to move forward in this kingdom He's called us to. We need our faith strengthened. We need our faith bolstered to move forward and to be everything that God wants us to be. And part of that is having a daring faith means you camp out on the fact our God is dependable. If He's done that, then He can certainly do this in our lives. That's why we take the Lord's Supper every week here. Some of you wonder about that. You're new to the the Kerrville Church of Christ. You've been kicking some some, uh, tires here. And you've been wondering, you know, at our church we only do that once a month, once a quarter. Maybe your church doesn't need as much faith as this church does. But we bring the bread and we bring the wine every week. And regardless of how the person does who shares our communion thoughts, we see every week. That's fact. That someone in history said, this is my body given for you. That someone in history said, this is my blood poured out for you. And this changes everything. Whether it's true or not, that's still a fact. And we rehearse that fact every week, don't we, church? But we believe it's true. We believe that 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 body and that blood matters to us. Because the one who gave that body and gave that blood says, this is your scarlet cord. This is your salvation. As the sign said, this is your true food and true drink. And unless you drink this, unless you eat this, you have no part in me, says the God-man who came to this earth. We believe that's dependable. We believe that you can camp out on that, that you can believe that historical fact matters in this world. Second thing I want you to take out of here is that daring faith faces risk from a disbelieving culture. Just because you believe doesn't mean everybody else is. You go ahead and believe anyways. Throughout this series of lessons, we've seen it over and over again. By welcoming the spies, Rahab is committing an act of treason in her culture. And I want to say this. You welcoming the fact that the, the way, the truth, and the life is Jesus Christ, that He is the only way to the Father, that is treason in this culture. Now, there's all kinds of ways this culture is going to say, and they all are the same. And this book says, no, they're not, unless that is Jesus Christ, a part of that way. You can't miss this woman's words to the spies. 
She no longer considers herself a part of the Jericho that's about to be destroyed. And I just want to say this. When you say yes to Jesus Christ, God's asking you to say the same thing. Yes, He wants to save you. He wants to be your Savior, but He also wants to be your Lord. And you can't have one without the other. And so when you say yes to Him, and I had to remind a brother this week, when you say yes to Him, you're saying, I will make choices the way you want me to make them. I will live my life the way that you want me to live them. I will be a husband to my wife the way you want me to, to love her. I will be a parent to my children the way you want me to love her. I will vote the way that you want me to vote. I will eat the way that you want me to do? What do you want? Your Lord, I'm your servant. Your Father, I'm the child. And if you believe that, you will not have... A lot of company, the word says, as we get closer and closer to the end. Daring faith risks faith from a disbelieving culture. Now, this is a little bit risky, but please hear me all the way through this, all right? Because that's true, it's why I admire what Ted Cruz did the other night at the Republican convention. Whether you admire his politics or don't, whether you admire his personality or don't, really doesn't matter to me. I hope you admire his courage. And someone's going to say, you mean stupidity. And I want to say courage always looks like some form of stupidity, doesn't it? Some form of insanity whenever it's actually lived out in front of us. It did when Moses made demands of Pharaoh. <laughs> that's stupid. Who are you? It did when David was facing Goliath. Well, that looks stupid to all of Israel gathered around there. Who, who do you think you are, King Saul said? And it looked stupid when Jesus Christ said, yes, I, I am the Son of God like you say. Well, that's stupid. Here, let's just crucify you and see if you are. That's insane. I admire Mr. Cruz for standing on a national stage just like I admire Jesus for standing on a national stage. I don't know whether what he did was good. And truth is, time will only tell if what Jesus did was good. But in an arena where he could have spoken for applause, Ted Cruz spoke for his conscience. And then he reminded all of us that come election day, that's how we ought to vote. That we vote from conscience more than we do with the crowd, whoever that crowd is. And I say amen to that. I say I can base that on the Word of God. You vote your conscience, no matter what these Democratic conventions or Republican conventions are saying. You go to the Spirit convention. You go to the Word convention. And you vote your conscience, not with the crowd. Whether you're casting your vote at the ballot box or at the theater box. Whether you're casting your vote for a candidate or for Christ. Now more than ever, I believe it's the utmost for Christians to honestly ask this question. Who's dictating my values? Who's dictating my priorities and my principles and the agenda for my family? Warning. If you choose Jesus, you will have possibly critics, maybe even enemies. Just as Noah had them, just as Abraham had them, and just as Rahab had them. The longer that I live, the longer that I follow this Christ, the longer I'm finding out. Not only did I choose him as Lord, but I've also kind of chosen my enemies as well. And if Jesus is your Lord, you're not going to fit very well with those for whom he is not. Who's ever going to forget the truth of what was boldly brought into the political world back in 1996? It happened in Topeka on January the 23rd in the Kansas House of Representatives. Joe Wright was the pastor from the Central Church of Christ or the Central Christian Church in Wichita, Kansas. 
He was a chaplain that day. And this was the prayer that was prayed then that still reverberates around the world. Heavenly Father, we come before you today to ask for forgiveness and to seek your direction and guidance. We know your word says, woe to those who call evil good. But that is exactly what we've done. We have lost our spiritual equilibrium and inverted our values. We confess that. We have ridiculed the absolute truth of your word and called it pluralism. We have worshipped other gods and we've called it multiculturalism. We've endorsed perversion and called it an alternate lifestyle. We've exploited the poor and we've called it the lottery. We've neglected the needy and called it self-preservation. We have rewarded laziness and called it welfare. We have killed our unborn and called it a choice. We have shot abortionists and called it justifiable. We have neglected to discipline our children and called it building self-esteem. We have abused power and called it political savvy. We have coveted our neighbor's possessions and called it ambition. We have polluted the air with profanity and pornography and called it freedom of expression. We have ridiculed the time-honored values of our forefathers and called it enlightenment. Search us, O God, he prayed. And know our hearts today. Try us and see if there be some wicked way in us. Cleanse us from every sin and set us free. And while you're at it, guide and bless these men and women who've been sent here by the people of this state and who've been ordained by you to govern this great state of Kansas. Please grant them your wisdom to rule. And may their decisions direct us to the center of your will. I ask in the name of your Son, the living Savior, Jesus Christ. Not your typical opening prayer, is it? Daring faith faces risk from a disbelieving culture. And I'm telling you, they came out of the woodwork on that prayer. People to the left, people to the right, all over this country got upset. Paul Harvey, my hero, played it on his radio broadcast, said he got more response, more emails, more whatever to that one prayer than anything he'd ever aired on his long-running show. A man by the name of Terry Mattingly said, what, what to make of all this fuss? The easy answer is that he read a prayer. And it was a prayer about sin. The complicated answer is that Wright jumped in America's tense debate about whether some things are always right. And some things are always wrong. Where do you get that kind of boldness to do that? I think you get it from knowing. This culture is doomed. (laughs) It is. That there's a king that's coming across the river. And he has an army that he's bringing with him. That is undefeatable. What are you going to do about that? How will you choose to live in the face of that king that's coming? Which leads us to the last. Daring faith embraces God's new future at all costs. If you say, I will embrace Jesus Christ as my Lord. I will stand for him and be his servant in this world. It will come with a cost. Paul says to Timothy, everyone who desires to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will pay for it. Everybody. Your cost is coming. But I can tell you this. It's worth it, baby. No eye has seen. No ear has heard. 
No mind has conceived what our King, what our Lord has prepared for every one of you who live with daring faith. And that's probably a good time to say amen. Every one of you. No matter what your dark past is like, no matter how dark it is, he's saying, come on, put your faith in me. And while you're at it, you get your scarlet cord out, all right? You join yourself, you cover yourself, you wrap yourself in the blood of my son, Jesus Christ, and I will see that cord when I come, and you and your family will be saved. Come on. That's what we saw with the Philippian jailer. Man, life got so dark in a moment when an earthquake came. And all of a sudden he saw his job security just get flushed when he saw chains off of his prisoners. It's all over. No, it's not all over. Because in a moment, Paul said, here's how you can get a hold of the scarlet cord yourself and that Philippian jailer. And later that night, all of his household were baptized into Jesus Christ and they were all saved. So can you and your family have that legacy. The moment that she shared with her family, there's a way out. Rahab put at risk her own life. One nephew, one cousin, one slip of the tongue to anybody, and her head comes off before the sun sets the next day. But there was something inside that woman that said, i got to tell them. Their salvation hinges on me risking the comfortableness of my life and our relationships. What this may cause them as far as an adjustment to their schedule, to their priorities in their life. This is the only way I see for us to be saved. Come on and be saved with me. Does that sound similar to the call of Christ on your life, church? That you might put at risk some of the comfortableness of your, your relationships, your acquaintances? To first of all, live out a life that is totally aligned with Jesus Christ. And then secondly, to say, come on, you've got to go with us. There's no hope for this world that's left. It's about to be burned up and done with. But I'm telling you, we're about to step into a new world. Oh, baby, not only will there be forgiveness, there's going to be dancing. (laughs) You want to be a part of that. I promise you, when Jesus Christ comes, you think that Twan can make you move? We're going to be doing some moving. We're going to be doing some dancing. When what we believed in faith becomes reality for us, and it's close, folks. It's close. But when he comes, we'll be dancing. Do you believe that what doesn't exist can exist because God exists? Whatever you're facing today, whatever you're struggling with, would you put that in that formula there? And would you put your faith here that he can lead you there? And let's see where it takes you, all right? Not in what your mama says, not in what your your buddy says, not in what the the inquirer says, what Jesus Christ says. Come on. There's a new kingdom that's coming. We're about to stand and sing about it, all right? I hope you're ready for it. If you're not this morning, we can put you, we can surround you with that scarlet thread right here. That scarlet thread that's saving every Rahab in the room, which, by the way, is everybody. We can wrap you in that scarlet thread right now as we put you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit into the death, the only death that will ever have any meaning in your life and raise you up to walk in a newness of life. And if you're here this morning and you've kind of been on autopilot but the, but the words grabbed your heart and you said, okay, he deserves more than what I've been offering him as far as an allegiant faith. Yeah, he does. If you've not been offering him everything because he wants it all.
And then we're going to have brothers at the back and brothers here at the front who would love to wrap an arm around you and say, hey, remember the scarlet thread we're in. Now let's just live like it. Come on, let's live like it. Let's sing to praise. But if we can sing to help you move out into the life of Christ or to have a better life in Christ, let us help you do that. Let's stay in church. Let's praise Him.